Amen, amen. I'm excited about this new year. I'm excited about what God is going to do through you, through us as a community of faith. And I'm excited about the word of God that he's laid on my heart for today. Psalm 51 is where my assignment comes from. Psalm 51, beginning in verse number 10. The scripture says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. As we begin this new series called Mojo, you all know what Mojo is, right? Let me see your hand. You know what Mojo is? Raise your hand. You have no idea what Mojo is. Put your hand down. That wasn't everybody. Let's try it again. You know what Mojo is? Raise your hand. You have no idea what Mojo is? Raise your hand. You all need some Mojo right there. See? <laughs> anyway, Mojo is about getting your groove back, getting your spiritual stride back, Getting back to the place where you are walking with God like God wants you to be walking with Him. And today, as we talk about that, as we embark upon it, not just a new series, not just a new year, but a new decade, I want to minister to you on the subject, the Emperor's New Groove. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you minister by your power and by your grace to every single person. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The obvious message for the beginning of this new decade is the message on vision, 2020. Every church across America, every church across the world as we go into this next decade is talking about the power of vision. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Matter of fact, I believe that God is saying that in this hour. And if you read the scriptures, you know that as we move into the end times, the Bible talks about one of the signs of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit will be vision. And so I believe that this is indeed a year of vision, but I believe it's deeper than that. I believe it's not just about getting vision, but about seeing the things that God has put on our hearts as individuals and as a church come to pass. But when I begin to study about that and pray over this sermon series, the Lord led me to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse number 2, which says, write the vision down and make it plain on tablets so that they who read it will run with it. And what I heard the Lord say to me is this is going to be a year where we run. And running is when you move fast. Running is when you, when you just, when you get a stride so that way you're accomplishing things quicker than you ever had before. And I believe this year we're going to see God move faster, more powerfully, and more undeniably than we've ever seen Him uh, move in our lives before. I believe this is the year where Isaiah says that we're going to run and not be weary. Where God is going to give us something that's a little different than what we've ever experienced before. There's going to be an unusual power Power. There's going to be the ability to reap faster than you sow. In the Bible, it talks about in the end times, the harvester will overtake the reaper. And that means basically the blessings and the goodness of God is going to be coming in so quick that it's going to kind of overtake you. And I believe that's what this year is all about. Because some of us need a change of pace, if you will. Some of us need to go from, you know, kind of uh, the melees of life. 2019, as I observed in many people's life, so many people lost their groove in 2019. 
A lot of people kind of went through the motions and were kind of sleepwalking through 2019. A lot of people were lost their spiritual stride. A lot of people had some quit in them in 2019. They, they settled in 2019. They decided they were going to stop serving and stop fighting and stop stretching and stop believing God for better things. So many people were battle-worn all around me. So many people were emotionally spent in 2019. And you know what happens when you get battle-worn and emotionally spent. You kind of throw in the towel. You kind of accept the fact that this is the way it will always be. And you kind of don't expect anything new or anything better from God. And I believe what God wants to do is stir us up in 2020. I believe 2020 is the year where we get our spiritual stride back. We get our groove back. We get our mojo back. We get our faith back. We get our desire back. We get our passion back. We get our fire for God back. I believe this is the year where it comes back. I believe that's what God is saying. And in order for that to happen, in order for us to get to that place, we've got to understand what it takes to get your mojo or your groove back. I get ahead of myself a little bit, but the movie, The Emperor's New Groove, how many of you know what that movie is? Some of you don't have kids, have no idea. It's a kid's movie. And it's a kid's movie, a Disney movie, about this, this selfish, self-centered, obnoxious king who um, had a groove. Matter of fact, he, he believed in his groove, he liked his groove so much, and he was so obnoxious and self-centered that there was a time when he had an elderly man who defenestrated for throwing off his groove. You all know what defenestrated means, right? How many of you know what defenestrated means? I didn't either, so I'm not trying to be smart. And, and the only reason why I bring it up is because I had no idea what it meant. And so I looked it up, and when I looked it up, it comes from a Latin word, D-E, which means out and fenestrated, which means window. And he had an older man thrown out of the window because he threw off his group. This is a kid's movie, right? It's a, car, it's a cartoon. And needless to say, this king had a lot of enemies because he was so obnoxious and self-centered. And there was this one enemy that made him drink this, this, this potion that turned him into a, a llama. And he spent the rest of the show or the rest of the, the movie is all about how he tried to turn back to the king, to find the antidote, to turn back to the king, but not just the king that he was, a king with a new and a better groove. And I believe a lot of you are like that llama in 2019. You, you lost your spiritual stride. You, you had some setbacks. You had some things that kind of knocked you over and some things that kind of kept you down and stole your joy and stole your peace and stole all of that. And what God wants to do is God wants to give you your groove back. He wants to turn you into a better you, the you that he's designed you to be. You say, Pastor, what does this llama and this king have to do with Psalm 51? Psalm 51 is about an emperor that lost his groove. His name is David. You remember what he penned here in Psalm 51, verse number 10. Again, created me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. David is that emperor that lost his groove. How so? Well, you remember David's story. It's the, it's the you know, the famed rags to riches story. It's like the American dream, but it's the Jerusalem dream. David was one of eight boys. He was a shepherd boy. He was the overlooked. He was the undervalued. He was the one who was despised by his family. Many theologians believe that David was despised and kind of left out of the anointing when Samuel came to the house of Jesse to anoint Israel's next king amongst his boys. 
Jesse only brought in seven of them and not eight. The eighth one was David. And many people believe that the reason why uh, David was despised was because David was actually literally born in sin. And and not just shaping in sin like you and I are in that we are all born with Adamic sin. We are all born with a sin nature. But rather, he was the byproduct of an adulterous relationship that his father Jesse had. Now, we can't prove that, but that is the thought of many theologians. And so that, they say, is the reason why he wasn't called in because he really wasn't a legitimate son. And that's the reason why he was overlooked, and that's the reason why he was undervalued. But how many of you know that God takes the overlooked and undervalued and makes them into something that nobody else sees? And so you remember the story, uh, uh, Samuel comes to the house of Jesse to anoint the next king to replace Saul, who has drifted away from the Lord, and he comes in and Jesse lines up his seven eldest, or his seven sons, leaves David out, and he looks, Samuel, at Eliab, and Eliab is the oldest, and Eliab is the most handsome, and Eliab is the tallest, and so he says, surely this is the Lord's anointed, and he takes the horn of oil, which he's supposed to, you know, turn upside down and anoint the head of Eliab as the next king, and when he turns the horn of oil upside down, the oil wouldn't flow, and so he assumes that it's the next eldest, and so he takes the horn, and he turns it upside down, and the oil doesn't flow, and the next oldest, and the oil doesn't flow, and he goes all the way down to the seventh, and every time he tries to anoint them with the horn of oil, the oil wouldn't flow. And suddenly David walks into the room, and you remember this, and the Lord speaks by the Spirit to Samuel, and he says, Arise and anoint him. This is the one. He takes the oil, of, uh, the, the, oil. the horn of oil. Hoyle is the horn in the oil. It's just a short version of it. Helps me to preach faster. Right? He takes the horn of oil, and he turns it upside down, and this time the oil that wouldn't flow begins to flow. And the message there is very simple that you never have to worry about what God has for you or somebody taking from you what God has for you because if God has it for you, God will put it on hold until you arrive. That's why you should never get worried about what somebody's trying to do for you because what somebody does to you cannot stop what God has for you. I'm not trying to preach that though. I've got something else to say today. Anyway, he's anointed, but he's not appointed. In other words, there's a season between the time when he was set apart and the time when he was set up. And one of the things you have to realize in life in general is never rush getting to the place where God has for you. Everybody wants to get there fast, but getting to a place fast is not as important as getting to a place prepared. Because if you get to a place too quickly and you're not prepared for the place, you won't stay in the place because your character can't keep you where your calling has placed you. And so what happens is he's anointed, but he's not ready. And so he goes back to the place of preparation. He goes back into the wilderness. He goes back to tending sheep. And his family has kind of almost seemingly overlooked the fact that he has truly been chosen to be king. He goes back to being like the runt of the family and the one that has to do all the errands. And so you remember when he's out in the field, his father calls him in. He says, I need need you to run an errand. And you might have heard me share this before. His father basically says to him, I need you to take some pizza to the battlefield for your brothers. It's in the Bible. You remember reading it? Take you some cheese and bread to your brothers on the battlefield. That's pizza right there, right? I mean, it's the best part of pizza. White pizzas are delicious, by the way. Especially when you're on keto. I mean, bread is just like... "Mm." Uh, Anyway, so he goes out there. And you remember when he gets to the battlefield, right? He sees that Israel is fear-stricken because of the Philistine giant by the name of Goliath. Nobody will go out and fight Goliath. And so what does David say? David says, I'll go. And you remember what happens? Eliab, his oldest brother, laughs at him. And then his king, Saul, laughs at him. And then finally when he goes out onto the battlefield, the giant Goliath laughs at him. And here's what God wants you to understand, that you're really not in faith until you have people laugh at what you're believing God for. Am I going too fast? 
I'm trying to get somewhere. I'm just going to give you a little. See, see, if you're really, if you're doing everything that is ordinary, if, if you're believing for something that just can happen easily, you really haven't tapped into what God wants you to believe for because God always wants you to believe for things that require his intervention and assistance. And if you're not really needing God's intervention and assistance, are you really walking out and living out the plan that God has for your life? Hello? And so anyway, they laugh at him, but, but David has the last laugh. You remember what David does? He takes his childhood toy, his slingshot, and some rocks. And with a thing that he's been practicing with for years in private, God uses to deliver him publicly and place him in the palace. See, one of the things that we can never overlook is our ability to be good stewards of the resources and the gifts that God has given us. Because how we deal with things in obscurity determines how God uses us when everybody can see. And so never neglect the times when you're in the shadows because the times when you're in the shadows are the most important times for your successes. And so David has the last laugh and with his little stone and with his little sling, he takes down the giant and he, through a series of divine events, he, he, he becomes Saul's armor bearer and Saul tries to kill him and war tries to kill him. But eventually David is such a war hero that they sing about him in the streets and he finds himself finally years later appointed to the place that he was anointed for way, way long ago. And he's now king of the most powerful nation on all the earth and he's having a moment. And the moment is a pinch me and let me know it's a real moment. Has God ever been so good to you that you've had that moment? Just pinch me and let me know that this is real. God, let me know that I'm not just dreaming or fantasizing about this. But what I've always longed for, what I've always wanted, has finally come to pass. And by the way, you need to know something about 2020. God wants to make your dreams come true. He really does. But he wants to be the center of those dreams. And so David is having one of those pinch me and let me know that it's real moments. He's thinking about how he got there and he's thinking the bear should have killed me and the lion should have killed me and the giant should have killed me. Saul should have killed me and war should have killed me. But God, you've preserved me and God, you've placed my feet on a solid foundation and God, you've put me in the palace and everybody thinks that it's my military might that placed me here. But God, you and I both know had you not grabbed hold of the stone, there's no way that it would have sank into the head of the giant. God, we know that I'm here because... You placed me here. Is that your testimony? God, I know I'm here because of you. And David is, is there. He's now, he's now king. He's trying to figure it out. He realizes that the reason why he's there is because by grace God placed him there. That God placed him there because God trusted him. He trusted him to be a protector of the people. He trusted him to be somebody who would steward the spiritual lives of the people who would lead the people so they can, can remain close to God. He would lead Israel so that they can meet, remain in right relationship with God. He, he knew that God had trusted him. And because God has been so good, for, good to him, his first act as king is to look out for somebody who he could be good to. You know how you know that God has given you what God has given you? When you look for people to bless with what God has given you. See, when you just look to get more blessings, you don't understand that you've received those blessings from God. Had it not been for the goodness of God, you wouldn't have anything that you have. But when you're on the lookout for people to bless, to use what God has given you to be a blessing to other people, then you really know that it's by grace that you received everything that you have. And so David has got it going on. I mean, he, he's not just large and in charge. He's not king for himself, but he realizes that he's been placed there by God. You could say, this is an emperor that, that's got his groove. This is an emperor that is hitting on all spiritual cylinders. This is an emperor that is walking in a stride that is worthy to be, uh, to be praised. This is somebody that is an example in Israel. 
He's got his groove going on. But, but then something happens. Maybe years later, David seems to forget why he was placed there. And one day, the Bible says, when kings went out to battle, when the kings went to do what kings were called to do, which is to lead armies and to protect the people that were under them. By the way, if you're a leader, your primary purpose is not to advance yourself, but to protect your people. So if you're a father, your primary purpose is to protect your family. If you're a boss, your primary purpose is to be good to your people, right? Sometimes we lose sight of what leadership is all about. We think that leadership is all about accolades, but leadership is all about responsibility. But this is not a leadership seminar. We can talk about that some other time. David has forgotten about why he is there, why he's in that position. And so at the times when kings would go out to war, David said, I don't do that no more. I got peeps that now do that. And so David stayed behind, and, and, and David walked out on the palace porch. I call it the, the porch of pride. And, and whenever I think about this scripture, I think about something that happened to me in 2019. By the way, do you remember moments in 2019? I think it's good to look back. I don't, I don't believe it's good to stay back. I don't believe it's good to camp out on what's in the past. But I believe it's good to look back, to look back to learn and look back to celebrate, look back to thank God and look back to know what not to do as you go forward. Again, I think looking back is good. And I remember a time in 2019, and it was like towards the middle, maybe the end of 2019. It was 1230 in the morning, and I picked up my cell phone, which is a bad thing to do at 1230 in the morning at disrupts your sleep, but I did it, do what I say, not what I do, anyway, um, I picked up the cell phone, and I happened to open the emails, which I never really do, and I opened the emails, and there was an email from a relatively new person in the church, and the email said, Pastor, I know it's late, but would you mind coming up to the hospital to pray for a friend of mine, who's son, a friend of mine's son, who is in a coma, it was 1230 at night, I don't do that anymore. I got people who do that. I got 14 other pastors. They do that. I preach. This is my job. And I thought, man, it's 1230 at night. And I was going to just put it down like, can I just be honest with you and act like I didn't see it? Don't look at me in that tone of voice like you've never done something like that before. <laughs> just respond the next day. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'll go up to the hospital now. That's convenient. I was going to put it down, but every time I tried to place it down, something was going on on the inside of my spirit. The Holy Spirit was saying, ah. So I woke my wife up. You know, she's, by the way, wives, you know what your job is, your second Holy Spirit, right? You realize that? And so I woke, I woke my wife up, and I said, honey, what do you think I should do? I got this message here, and this person telling me they want me to go up to the hospital. It's like 1230 at night, and, you know, maybe I should just call one of the other pastors to do it, and, you know, maybe they'll go, and so on and so forth. And, and she's like, you know, I'm sleeping. I don't care what you do. <laughs> Then I heard the Holy Spirit say this. He said, you forgot why I made you a pastor? You forgot why I placed you in that position? You forgot what your primary role is? To protect the people. To love the people. To help the people. He said, get your lazy butt out of bed and go. And so all of a sudden, I picked up that phone and I wrote back. I said, what hospital, what room? I'm expecting Danbury Hospital. I'm expecting like New Milford Hospital. You know? Greenwich Hospital. 
said, how do I pretend like I didn't see it now? I just responded back to the guy. I actually, you know, what went off in my mind. I actually thought of a big lie like, oh, man, there was something wrong with the Internet. I never received your response back until, until the morning time. I heard the Holy Spirit say, get up and go. I said, by the time I get there, it's going to be 2 in the morning. By the time I get home, it's going to be 4, 4.30. Depends how long, you know, what if the family's there. I'm going to minister to them. I mean, they're like, I'm not going to get any sleep tonight. And the Holy Spirit said, so? <laughs> so I went. And as I went, the Holy Spirit said this to me. And I actually went with a good attitude. Because one of the things that we have to understand is that once God corrects us, you might as well just join forces with him. Your arm is too short to box with God. If God is telling you to do something, just do it. Get a good attitude about it. Don't get a bad attitude about it. All you're going to do is mess yourself up. You know, it's like those people like, all right, I'll serve. Where do you want me to go? Get your sorry butt out and sit, sit back down. In the, we don't need nobody like that, sir. And I had a good, good attitude about it. And the Holy Spirit said to me, what if I'm the one, what if you're the one that I want to use to spare that young man's life? I mean, isn't that worth it? So I went and I ministered to the family who was all there. And I ministered to the young man. He, he was in a coma. He couldn't hear me, see me, nothing like that. I laid hands on him and prayed for him. And just about a month and a half ago, I got word back that he's out of the coma, that he's in a rehab place, and that he's going to fully recover. <laughs> David was like, I don't do that anymore. Got people that do that. And he walked out on the porch of pride to overlook everything that was his. Look at this. Fountains, gardens, houses, chariots, horses, servants. Ah, the good life. I finally made it. Do you know what the enemy of the God life is? Sometimes the good life. Because we have this, this thing in our mind that we have attained to the place that God wants us to be when we are living the good life. Nothing wrong with the good life. I love the good life. I want the good life. And if I'm going to be honest with you, I have the good life. There are many times when I pinch myself and say, God, you have been so good to me. But can I tell you something? I'm not satisfied with that as life. I want the God life more than I want the good life. And I don't mean to draw a distinction between the two because they can overlap. And, and David, he's, he's looking out. I don't do that anymore. And because he was walking out on the porch of pride, he met the prince of darkness. And whenever you walk out on the porch of pride, you will meet the prince of darkness. And the prince of darkness sends an image his way to cause him to begin to lose his groove even further than he had lost it. And the image he sees as he's scanning over his vast kingdom, thinking this is all mine, is a woman bathing. How many of you know sometimes you cannot stop the image that comes across your eyes? Sometimes, you know, you just mind your own business. You know, you're just walking at the mall, something like that, and sometimes you're just floating through the TV, and sometimes you're just reading something, and and sometimes you can't stop the image that comes your way. But how many of you know you have full control over what you meditate on and what you dwell on? How many of you know it's not the first look that gets you? It's usually the second look that gets you. It's usually what you focus on because that's when your choice kicks into the situation. And instead of David looking away, instead of David hearing or listening to the Holy Spirit, because you know the Holy Spirit was talking to David. You know, I love these people like, I didn't know it was a sin. 
Seriously? Really? I even believe that Christians or non-Christians know when something is wrong. Because I believe the Lord has built a conscience into all of us. And what we've perfected in the church is the ability to, to kill the conscience so we can do what we want anyway without feeling bad. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching real good. And, and so David focuses on what he shouldn't be looking at. And he calls for the woman to come to the palace and he sleeps with the woman and he gets the woman pregnant. And if that's not bad enough, the woman is his best friend's wife. And instead of David owning it, what David does is he tries to cover it up. See, look at y'all looking at David in that tone of voice like you ain't never tried to cover nothing up before. Can I give you an example? You're on your phone and somebody walks in the room. Oh, what you doing? I just surfing the net. Can I tell you, cover-ups never clean it up. Cover-ups never clean it up. All cover-ups do is cover-ups create more chaos in your life. The only thing to clean up something that you do that is not right is to own up. Because when you own up, it gives you a clean heart. And when you have a clean heart, you're back in relationship with Almighty God. And there's nothing that God can't do when you have a clean heart. But David covers it up. David decides to arrange for his friend to be killed. He didn't do it himself, but he had somebody else do it. Maybe that made him feel better, like, I didn't do it, you know. It was them, type of thing. And he has his friend killed. And he goes, the woman has the baby, Bathsheba, you know her name. She's taking a bath. Her name was Bathsheba. I think that's so cool, right? (laughs) Anyway, she has the baby. Nine months have gone by. And David experiences no consequences. David is still blessed. And he thinks, I still got my groove going on. How many of you know you could be blessed and broken all at the same time? See, we have, we have made blessed the sign of being whole. And, and we don't understand that there, there is some blessed that is broken. There is some blessed that gets in the way of really what is beautiful in life. God's will for us is to be able to have both, to be able to be whole and be blessed at the same time. But there is some blessed that creates a brokenness. There is some blessed that creates a lack of dependence upon God and a lack of willingness to turn to God for help because we think we could do it all on our own. And David is now in that place where he's blessed but he's broken. He thinks that his elevation was for his glory and not because God trusted him to watch over his people. And so we see this king who has lost his groove. He's got no consequences, but God loves him just the same. This is the beautiful thing about God. This is why, to some extent, I know we like to describe God and explain God, and, and, I, and I subscribe to the fact that God can be explained and that, that God, that God is, is predictable. I subscribe to that to a certain extent because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If we know the principles that God works by, we can know how to release the power of God. I subscribe to all that. But to one extent, God is undes- indescribable. 
Because when, when, I, when I try to wrap my mind around how somebody can love people like us who do the kinds of things that we do, who sleep with our best friend's wives and then has them killed and has a baby and, and looks at the lack of consequences as being clearance from God. When I, when I think that God can still love us despite ourselves, it kind of blows my mind. It kind of caused me to go on a trip for just a little minute and try to figure out if this God is real or if he's just a figment of my imagination because a God like that is too good to be true. But he is just that good. And God sends a prophet to the palace to share with David a parable. And the parable is a story about this man who had everything and this other man who had only one thing. Nothing but only one thing. But he was content with that one thing. He was happy with that one thing. He loved that one thing. And in that parable, that one thing is a little hue lamb. And, and, and God sends the prophet to David, to the palace, to recover David from the grace from which he's fallen. I don't know about you, but, but I, I had to take a moment when I was reading this in its context. And I had to think to the times when, when God sent his grace to recover me from the place that I had fallen from. When God sent his grace to forgive me of the things that I should have been forgiven of. When God sent his grace into my life to rescue me. And I I just had one of my own moments and I thought, God, you are just that good. And God sends Nathan and Nathan tells him this little parable. And he says in the parable, the man who had everything took from the man who had only one thing. The one thing that the man really loved. He took his little ewe lamb. And then he said this. He said, here's the million dollar question. He said, David, what do you think? should be done to the man. Here's what the scripture says, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse number 5. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives. It's amazing how we can get spiritual when we're sinful. As the Lord lives, the man who has done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Do you know what a a surefire sign of you having lost your groove is? You you are a max sentence person against people who make mistakes. When, When you see somebody make a mistake and you are like throw the book at them, give them everything they got coming to them, Give, give no mercy. That's good for them. They deserve that. They deserve that. They deserve that. Shouldn't have done that. It wasn't me. I wouldn't have done that. And, you know, that's their fault, not my fault. No. And you are a max sentence type of person. That's a surefire sign that you have lost your spiritual groove because God has never asked us to be max sentence people when other people make mistakes. God has asked us to be max mercy people because his mercy is new every single morning. And Jesus said in the greatest sermon ever preached, he said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Can I be honest with you? One of the reasons, and I am, and I don't mean this to toot my own horn, but I am one of the most merciful people that I know. It's like when Moses wrote, you know, Moses, the most humble man that ever lived. That's kind of like what I just said. He wrote that in the book of Deuteronomy, by the way. But one of the reasons why I choose to be merciful is because I need a lot of mercy. And there's just this part of me that says, God, I'm just sowing. I'm just sowing now because I know that I need it in my own life. And so 
David says he, he should be killed. And, and so Nathan looks at him and he says, you the man. And suddenly, the light goes on. Can I, can I just tell you a blessing that most people don't think is a blessing? When somebody loves you enough to tell you you're wrong. It's a blessing. Because sometimes you need that in order for the light to go on. You know, we live in this world, don't tell nobody they're wrong. See, there's a difference between lovingly telling somebody that they're wrong and condemningly trying to be a max sentence person against somebody. And the church hasn't learned the art of that yet. The church hasn't learned how to be merciful, but still how to stay faithful to the integrity of the word of God. And it's really not hard to do. And so he tells him, you the man. Suddenly the light goes on. And when the light goes on, David goes into his prayer closet. And guess what he does? He writes Psalm 51. This is the history of of Psalm 51. This is when David penned these words and notice again the meaning that they take when you understand what's led up to it. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. David is broken. He needs to be fixed. He's lost his spiritual stride. He's strayed away from God. This emperor has lost his groove. And he writes us a psalm. And in the psalm, he teaches us how to get our groove back. And the first lesson he gives us is when we leave God, we lose. When we leave God, we lose. Pastor, I don't know what's happened to me. I I don't feel the presence of God anymore. Pastor, I don't know what's happened to me. My fire for God is lost. Pastor, I don't know what's happened to me. My my prayers don't seem to be connecting. Pastor, your messages are a little weaker than they used to be. You know, I've had people tell me that over the years. Pastor, we need to go to another church because we're not getting spiritually fed. You know what I say? Bye. I'm not like God when it comes to that. I ain't begging nobody to stay. But I'm thinking to myself, if you can't get fed here, you can't get fed nowhere. The problem ain't the preacher. The problem is your pride. The problem is something is off. Pastor, I don't know what's happened to me. I, I don't have a desire to be in God's house like I used to. Pastor, something is not right. There was a time when I remember what the, that the old song says and how it describes my relationship with God when it says he walks with me and talks with me and he tells me I'm his own and the joy we share as we tarry there. None other has ever known. Pastor, I, I miss those times. What's happened to me? Could it be that you've left the Lord you used to love? Yeah, yeah, you're saved. You're still going to heaven. But, but that's not what it means to, to just be in relationship with God. It's not about earning a ticket and then stopping your testimony. It's not about getting your ticket punched and then getting off the rails and saying, my eternal future is secured so now I can live and be and do everything I want to. It's not about that. 
God is saying to us, if we're going to get our groove back, God again needs to be the center of our life. He needs to be our priority, our first love, the apple of our eye, the one that our world revolves around. We need to be sold out and all in, not lukewarm and partially in. Because when we leave the Lord that we used to love, we lose. Notice what David prayed. He said, create in me a clean heart. When you leave the Lord, you lose the blessing of a pure conscience. As you get older, you realize there are certain things that are greater blessings than other things. Lots of money, pure conscience. Cash, conscience. When you hit a certain age, you choose conscience every time. There's certain things that we, we lose when we leave. The blessing of being able to go to sleep knowing everything's right on the inside. See, some people don't sleep because there's, there's a lot of things that need alignment in their life. And there's this, there's this dissonance going on on the inside of them between their heart and their head. There's this war. There's this struggle. And God has wanted to give us a pure conscience, but we lose the blessing of a pure conscience when we leave. He says, and renew a right spirit in me or a loyal spirit in me. We lose that sense of being, of living for the Lord, that peace on the inside. Then he says, do not banish me from your presence. When we leave the Lord, we lose the presence of the Lord in our lives, the presence that gives us that joy, the presence that gives us that peace, the presence that gives us that comfort in crisis, the presence that gives us wisdom in the face of worry, the presence that gives us hope in the face of despair, the presence that assures us of his favor, the presence that fills our faith with his power, the presence that we need so much we don't understand how much we need the presence of God in our lives. Moses knew. God spoke to him. He said, I want you to go and lead my people out from Egyptian bondage. Go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And here's what Moses prays. He says, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not send us from here. God, I can't succeed without your presence. When's the last time you read in a self-help book, the way you succeed is you walk in the presence of God? When's the last time you heard that? But do you know what? That is the number one key for leading a successful God-honoring life is to walk in the presence of Almighty God. But you lose that when you leave the Lord. And this is all throughout Scripture. David also prayed, return to me the joy of your salvation. You lose your joy when you leave the Lord. If you're a Christian and you're not full of joy... Aside from situations that we all go through, which temporarily zap our joy, hard circumstances, if you're a joyless Christian, just, it's almost like a conundrum. It's almost like a contradiction. It's almost like an impossibility. The only one, one way you can be a joyless Christian, you don't stay connected to the source of joy, which is Jesus Christ. When we leave, we lose all throughout Scripture. The prodigal, he left his father's house and he lost everything. He thought it was great for a moment, didn't he? He was living large. He was the life of the party. He was buying everybody drinks. He was backing it up at the club. <laughs> it's amazing to me how 
When I look over at some of you going to block me from your social media after this. But when I look up some of the social media, uh, some of y'all's, you know, your pictures and stuff like that, we got more Christians posting pictures of them raising hard liquor on New Year's than we do of them lifting up the cross of Christ. See, some of you just got afraid to say amen right there. You're like, I ain't saying amen. Might be talking about me right there. See? What's going on? We, we, we don't realize something. We don't realize that when we leave, we lose. And, and after he experienced his time when everything was good, then all of a sudden he realized what happens when you leave the Lord. He lost his integrity, he lost his character, he lost his joy, lost his peace, lost his inheritance, lost his mind, lost everything that he had. Because when you leave the Lord, you lose. And this is the curse of this generation because this generation thinks that we can rewrite the laws of God and still live with the power of God. Something's got to change. Samson left the purity of God, lost the power of God. And by the way, this, this message is not just for blatant backsliders. Somebody like, what's a backslider? That's somebody who walked with the Lord who's kind of like really far gone right now. We call that a backslider in the church. But this is not a message just for the backslider. This is a message for the cold Christian. Remember Revelation chapter 2, verse number 1? The scripture says, Jesus is speaking he says, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, right? These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them to be liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from what you have fallen, repent and do your first works, or else I will come quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. What's he saying? He's saying this isn't just for the blatant backslider. This is for people who are doing some things right, some things good, but, but aren't loving God like they once did. And he said when you, when you leave the Lord, you stand to lose your light. I'll, I'll remove your candlestick. From its place. What's the candlestick? That's your light. What is your light? Your light is the ability to lead other people to Christ, which isn't a throw-in mission. It is the mission. It's not like, oh, yeah, well, well, maybe I'll lead one person to Christ this year. Like, is it, woo? The mission is the commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. That is the Mission, it's not the throw-in. It's like we think that the the mission is live the good life and the throw-in is lead somebody to the Lord. No, it ain't like that. Am I preaching real good? God told me I wasn't going to get no shout backs in this message. So I'm cool with that. I'm all right with that. You lose your light. You lose your ability to lead people to the Lord. You lose your light. You lose your ability to make good decisions because when you walk with the Lord, the Word of God is a light onto your feet and a lamp onto your path. But when you walk away from the Lord, when you, when you leave the Lord, you lose the ability to make good decisions. He also says, notice if you don't repent, if you don't come back, he says, he says you stand in danger of losing your place. I'll remove your candlestick from its place. Do you know there's a place for you to occupy on the planet? You know there's a purpose for what you were created for on the planet. And you know what? If you succeed but Jesus is not first, everything else is a failure. 
Because that's not necessarily what it's all about. What's God saying to us? What's this? What's David saying to this emperor that's lost his groove? He's saying to us, we got to realize that when we leave the Lord, we lose. But here's the good news. And, and David's prayer, every time you pray a prayer, there should be hope in prayer. Every time you pray a prayer, it's not just you bearing your heart and soul to God. But something happens when you bear your heart and soul to God. Hope rises on the inside of you because you know that even though when you leave, you lose. When you come back, you get back. Point number two. How do I get my passion back, Pastor? How do I get my fire back? How how do I get my desire back? How do I get his presence back? How do I get my priorities back, my character back, my integrity back? When you come back to the God you left, you get the groove that you lost. What does it mean to come back to God? It means God's got to be first, the center of our marriages, of our families, of the way we raise our kids, of the way we conduct ourselves in business, on the testimony they have, on the things that we like and don't like. I have some old friends who are like 50 now, much older than me. And I talk to them, and they're still all about, when are we going to go to the bar and drink and smoke cigars? I'm like, serious, bro? You grown, man. That's, that's what your life is about? Come on, man. How about, how about giving some of that to God? You know? See, we need to realize that when we come back, we get our groove back. He's got to be the center of what we like and what we dislike. If your likes don't change, maybe your heart hasn't changed. Because any man who's in Christ is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. That means there ought to be a change in what we like and what we don't like. There ought to be some affinities for things that are good that weren't there before and some dislikes for things that are not healthy. And so when the New Year's comes around, we shouldn't have pics of everybody holding up scotch, but we should have pics of everybody holding up their Bible and holding up a cross and say, this New Year, my resolution is to make Jesus Jesus first in my life. When you come back, you get back. It's almost like God is saying this to us. I know you have a social media life, but how about your prayer life? I know you do a lot of tweeting about your life, but how about some tweeting or testifying about my life? I know you like to make IGTV videos, but are you still into me? I know you like to post your story so that people will follow you, but how about using your story for his glory so that people will follow him? You see, I'm all into it. I I love social media, and I think we ought to use it, but some of us are on social media more than we are in the presence of God, and we don't know why something is wrong. Delusion confusion. God's saying, come on back. And David has gotten to a place where he's decided, as we progress through this this psalm song, God, I'm going to go back to it being all about you. And, And so if you read through the rest of it, he says this, he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn 
back to you. God, here's what I'm going to do is I'm now going to use all of the sordid details of my story not to draw attention to me, but what I want to do is I want to put my story out there to draw attention to you, to teach people to teach people something because everybody looked at me and wanted to be like me. But now I'm falling, God. Now I'm a wreck. Now, now I'm not like I used to be. And instead of hiding that, what I want to do is I want to post those pictures too. I don't want to just take a picture of all of us smiling at Christian, Christmas when we were all just arguing 10 minutes ago. But I got to stop and post a selfie so everybody thinks my life is perfect. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to post a picture of the argument. I'm going to post a picture of the broken dishes on the floor. I'm going to post a picture of everything that's gone wrong. Here's why. Because I want people to see something. I want them to see that sin will take you further than you want to go. Keep you longer than you want to stay. Cost you more than you're willing to pay. I want to use my story, not just the highlights, but the lowlights. I, I want I want God to give it all to you. I, I want I, I want I want you to use my perfections and my imperfections. God, I want you to to love all my rough edges. And I want to use them to bring you glory, God. So that sinners, and then here's what I love about David, verse number fifteen. He says, "Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth will praise you." Anybody ever read the Psalms and and you see little heading on the Psalms? And the heading says, David to the chief musician. Has anybody ever seen that before? Can I see your hand if you saw that before? Hold it up nice and high. Hold it up really, really if you saw that before. If you never saw that before, you ain't reading the Bible. No, no, I'm just playing. <laughs> David wasn't the chief musician. David had a chief musician. And so here's what David did. He realized there was only one way to get his groove back. And that was to make it all about God again, to use his story for the God's glory. And so what he did is he wrote this song, this psalm song. And then he went over to the chief musician and he said, here, play this in church. Now this is bold. Because this is not a story about somebody else. This is a story about him. This is a story about his lowest lows as well as his highest highs. And David is saying, you know what? This isn't about me. This isn't about what people think about me, how people perceive me. This is about how God can get glory from my story. So I'm going to post everything about me. I'm not just going to post all the good parts about me to get people to follow me because it's not about people following me. It's about people following Jesus. He said, here, sing this in church. I'm going to take my private pardon and use it for public praise. Has God ever forgiven you of something? Are you using that to bring glory and honor to God? David is saying to us, when we come back, we get back. But then I want to close with this. When we come back, we also get back the blessings that we gave up. When we come back, we also get back the blessings that we gave up. When Samson came back to God and prayed one more time, 
God, remember me, got back the blessing of supernatural power. When the prodigal son came back to his father, his father threw him a party, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, a royal robe on his back, killed the fatted calf, gave him back his position as a favored son, as a favored child. When Peter came back after denying Christ, he became the founding father of the faith. When Moses came back after murdering somebody, he led Israel out of Egyptian bondage. When David came back, David got his anointing back. David got his groove back. He got his mind back. He got his son back. When you come back to God, you get back all of the blessings that you gave up when you left. God's saying, come back. Malachi chapter 3 verse 7. Return to me and I will return to you. Come back to me and I'll return to you. Everything that you lost, everything that was stolen, everything that's been taken from you. Joel chapter 2 verse 13, return to the Lord your God for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave a blessing behind. Here's what this means. You decide your relationship with God is going to be based on significant things and not superficial things. You decide your relationship with God is going to be based on your mutual affection for one another. That God is your source. He's your sustainer. And you're just going to spend time with God because you love Him and you enjoy Him. And so you're going to get into His presence and maybe you're going to spend time in worship or in the Word or in prayer. And then you're going to continue to go about your life and so you're going to leave your prayer place or your worship place. And, and, and as you leave, God's going to be smiling and suddenly you're going to take a few steps and you go, you're going to bump it. What's that? That's a blessing right there. And you're going to keep walking through life and boom, let's have that get it. That's a blessing right there. See, what, what this verse is telling us is that when we return to the Lord, God will not only relent, God will not only change the circumstances, but when your heart is right, God will drop blessings for you all over your life. One of the things that I realize is you don't need to try to get blessed. You don't need to. You need to fall more in love with Jesus. And as you pursue him, and as he's the passion of your life, God will drop blessings all along the way in your life. You'll just bump into him. One, one scripture I want to I wanna end with the scripture. 2 Kings chapter 8, I preached on this a couple of weeks ago. It's the story of the Shunammite woman. You remember how she built Elisha an extension on the house, the heated floors and, you know, the iPad and charger and the big screen TV on the wall. You remember, you remember that? Remember that story in the Bible? Well, Elijah warned her. He said, you know, you have to leave this area, your land, your possessions. Famine's coming to the land, and so leave. And here's what the Bible says. 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 3. At the end of the seven years, she came back from the land of the Philistines. And when I read this last night, the Lord said this to me. Call him back from the land of the Philistines. What's the land of the Philistines? It's the world. Come on, Christians. Come on back. Come on back from the world. You're in it, but you're not of it. Come on back from its fleshly desires come on back from its convoluted ways of thinking come on back from its 
morality and sense of right and wrong that it tries to infiltrate us with. Come on back. Come on back to the place where you were designed to be, the place where you were designed to live. Come on back to the land of the living. Come on back to the land of God. Come on back to the place of God. Come on back to the throne of God. Come on back to the cross of God. Come on back. She came back from the land of the Philistines. She went to appeal to the king for her house and land. In other words, when she came back, she didn't stop to explain herself. Um, sorry. Um, I hope you all still like me and, and stuff, but I'm going to go to church now. She came right back to the king. Some of you need to make a beeline to the king. Don't stop along the way. Don't consult with people along the way. Don't ask people if it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. Make a beeline to the king. And she came back to the king and she went to appeal to the king for her house and for her land. And then he assigned an official to her case. You ever hear, there's angels on assignment? Do you know all it takes is for you to come back to God? You know what God does? God assigns angels to your case. God assigns angels all about your life. Do you know when angels are on assignment, there are things you pass through that you don't even know you're getting away with because angels have been assigned to your case? And he assigned a caseworker. And he said to the caseworker, give back. This is what the earthly king said to the caseworker. Give back everything that belonged to her, including all the income from her land from the day she left the country until now. And I heard God say when I read this, that if you'll come back to God, God will assign heavenly angels to your case to give you back everything that you lost when you left the Lord. This is your year of get back. You are going to get back your groove. You're going to get back your spiritual walk. You're going to get back your faith, your passion, your desire, your health, your family, everything that you lost. This is your get back here. This is your get back here. Some of you, I just heard, I just heard like somebody say this. Some of you said, Pastor, I can't get back what I lost. I hear you. Listen to me. Then for you, this is especially your get back year. So what do you mean? I think I might have shared this with you before. Whenever I lose something I can never get back, I don't consider it lost. I consider it a seed. And my get back becomes all the ways that I'm going to get back at the enemy for taking something from me that I can't get back right here in this earth. It's my year to get back. For some of you, it's your year to get back. And you're going to turn all your passion into what you do for God to get back at the enemy and let everybody know that the God you serve is a good God. You want to turn sinners back to God. You want to use your story for His glory. And God's going to put His anointing on that. Would you stand to your feet?